Amen. Thanks for being with us this morning here at Outward Church uh, on this, uh, this Mother's Day. Uh, thanks for uh, tuning in and, and being a part of this. For all, uh, for all of you who are joining us uh, for the first time, we want to welcome you. Uh, we're so glad that you're uh, a part of this with us. Um, just uh, two things real quick, and one of them is that, um, uh, you know, I, a couple of months ago, uh, I think it might have been three months ago, uh, we talked about how uh, the church needed to increase uh, its, its savings because uh, over the holidays, uh, it had been a little bit rough financially, and, uh, and I just want to tell you guys that you responded big time. And uh, it wasn't just one gift, it was many little gifts. And so I just want to encourage you and just say, like, we've been able to get uh, some of our savings back. We're not quite at the place where, where it would be ideal right now, but we're also, uh, we, we also kind of understand the absurdity of even talking about this because we know that many of you are in, a, in the midst of a financial hardship. And so we also want to be able to have funds to be able to help and to be able to serve our community. And so many of you have stepped up, I mean, it, uh, with little gifts, big gifts, uh, I mean, just across the board, it's been amazing. And so I just want to tell you, like, it is a huge, huge praise um, that even through this difficult time that you guys have given, and I just want to encourage you, like, if you're still in a place where you can give, I just want to ask that you would continue to do so or that you'd start. Um, if, if you call Outward Church your home, I just want to encourage you to do so. Um, for those of you that are not in a place where you're able to do that, man, we just want to encourage you. We want to help you if that's, if that's what you need, if there's any way that we can serve you, if there's a way that we can pray for you, um, we, we want to do that. So I just want to say, way to go, church. Don't, don't let up. Sometimes when we say, way to go, people are like, oh, we can stop giving now, and that's not great either. But So please continue. That, that is so helpful, and it's been an absolute blessing and an encouragement Really, I mean, to all of us that are on staff and the elders, but especially to me. Thank you so much for being a part of that. The second thing that I wanted to say is this, is that just in, in relation to the question of when are we going to open back up and at what level, and in large part, that is really up to uh, the government uh, on, on some level. We're watching this situation and considering uh, you know, the, the various orders and, and things of that nature. And so we're going to be prayerfully considering what our response will be as, uh, as the, um, the state of Oregon opens up. And so just be assured that, um, that we have opinions that we're taking to the Lord and there's a, a variety of opinions on the elder team. And so, uh, we want to get, um, as many people back in here as is, as, as is possible, um, as soon as possible, um, while still remaining safe. And so that's what our plan is. And so we'll be updating you as we go along here, but just be assured we're thinking about that uh, and talking about it, and, and we're not entirely sure quite yet. So just know that that's the case. So we're going to be in First Peter chapter 3. So if you'd open up your Bibles there, and turn to First Peter chapter 3. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, um, well, first of all, we'd love to send you one. And so we'd be glad to mail, mail that to you. So I hope our, our admin assistants are listening because if somebody emails and says, I'd like a Bible, we'll email, or we won't email you one, we'll, we'll mail you one. Um, but we'd love for you to have a paper Bible, an actual Bible, be, so that uh, we can reduce distractions during the sermon. And so we'd love for you to open up to First Peter chapter 3 and look at this with us. 
Um, we've been in First Peter uh, for the last uh, several weeks, actually since you know a couple weeks into the uh, the COVID nineteen crisis. Here, we went there because Peter is speaking to a church that is dealing with suffering. They're dealing with persecution. And while we're not dealing with government persecution per se, um, or by an entire society, um, there's a sense in which there is suffering. And so um, at least some parts of our society are are suffering at this stage. And so that's why we got into 1 Peter. And as the Lord would have it, we ended up on 1 Peter 3 this morning, and if you're familiar with your Bible, if you're not, that's okay too, but if you're familiar with your Bible, what you might know is that this is a passage that, that is directed towards uh, women, not just women, it's directed towards women and men, the marriage relationship, but it's in the context of obey the governing authorities, um, which is uh, a, little bit, a little bit difficult because here we are, we're celebrating uh, our moms, um, and so we're going to be talking about what it looks like to submit in, in marriage, which is, man, I, I can't think of anything more taboo right now uh, with the, the women's marches and the things that are going on. There's, there's just so much going on in our culture today that would be antithetical to what I'm about to teach. And I'm so happy to do that this morning because there really needs to be a stark contrast between what we're talking about and our world. There needs to be, there should be a stark contrast. Like we believe that these are the words of life, that, that scripture speaks truth to us. And so the question is whether we receive it as truth, even when we don't like it. In fact, uh, one of our pastors here, um, Ryan, um, just kind of gave this synopsis uh, of, this, uh, of this sermon today. He said, the way of Jesus often puts us in conflict with the uh, prevailing cultural norms. This includes God's specific design for men and women in the home, where we can often view ourselves as little gods deserving of honor. Jesus frees us to live in ways that honor one another as humble servants. And I thought that that was a great, uh, a great quote there um, that that Ryan wrote, and uh, a way for us to start off this morning. And so I just want to say Happy Mother's Day. And I'm, I'm, I'm hoping and I'm praying that you would receive this uh, in a way that is going to be uh, life-giving to your soul. And I hope that it's also challenging. And as it, t- towards the end of the sermon, I'm going to bring my wife up here and, I'll, and ask her to, to speak about this as well with me. And we'll, we'll talk more about it as we get towards, uh, towards the end of the passage here. But let me read the passage for us and, uh, and then we'll get rolling here. It says this, Likewise... Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham. Just hang on. We'll get to this in a minute. Calling him Lord. All right. 
And you are her children if you, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Now, I'm not going to be preaching on this next verse uh, today. I'm going, to, I'm going to do this next Sunday. Well, I was planning on it, but I need to devote a, a, a whole Sunday just, just to men. But it says this, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, there's uh, so many ways that, uh, that, that our culture would look at this passage and say that they're, they're really in disagreement on so many different levels. But I, I want to start off this morning with really just saying this, that there are circumstances where this passage has been completely misused. There's circumstances where this passage has been uh, completely misused, and here's what it is not describing. It is not describing abuse. It, is, it, is, it should never be used as uh, some type of supporting document to say that I should be able to abuse my wife. It's not even a passage that is speaking to men to say, men, you should make sure that your wife is submissive. In fact, Cloud and Townsend, who are two authors who wrote a book called Boundaries, say this. We have never seen a submission problem that did not have a controlling husband at its root. When the wife begins to set clear boundaries, the lack of Christ-likeness in a controlling husband becomes evident because the wife is no longer enabling his immature behavior. She is confronting the truth and setting biblical limits on hurtful behavior. Often when the wife sets boundaries, the husband begins to grow up. And so let me just say this, and that is that uh, at no point uh, during uh, the sermon today do I hope that you get the impression nor, uh, and I'm also hoping that our husbands are not looking at their, their wives and saying, see, or, or something like that, because that really is just indicating that we have an immature uh, husband who needs to grow up, and we have a wife that really is in need of setting up some, some boundaries. And, I, and I'll just say this briefly, and that is that in, in, in many circumstances where there is some type of um, it's, and it's not just abuse, but it's in any type of mistreatment. Uh, oftentimes, our encouragement to the wife is to set boundaries. Do not put up with this. You should put your foot down. You should call the police. You, I will call the police for you. I will go with you. We should take some steps in order for you to be separated for a time in hopes that you can come back together in order for him to see that this is real and that this isn't going away. I, I want to tell you as a man that uh, I, I could get pretty frustrated. Um, although I, I love, I love these guys, these, these men that are in, in our church. And I, I have a, a deep shepherding heart for you. It frustrates me to know and, and, and causes me to be angry when I hear about a woman who's been mistreated. And so I just want to be really clear at the beginning here that in no way are we in support of any kind of abuse. We want to encourage you that if there is any kind of physical abuse, anything that is against the law, that you should go to the police. If there's verbal mistreatment, spiritual abuse, emotional abuse, those kinds of things, we would love to talk with you about that and, and help get you to the right counselor 
and to give you wise counsel as well to protect you. So hopefully that's being received well. So this morning we're, we're talking about this, and, and I just want to encourage you this morning to hear the Word of God and to understand it. So first of all, I just want you to see that um, it says here, it says in, in, uh, in uh, chapter 3, verse 1, it says, likewise. So likewise, he is speaking about the, the previous passage that we just went over, and it, he's, really talking about, he's really talking about this. In verse 11 of chapter 2, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they, they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So basically, Peter is saying this. He's saying, listen, I want you to understand that I, I, I want you to live rightly so that other people would be influenced by your behavior, by your good conduct, and in turn, that other people would see your good conduct and that they would glorify God on the day of visitation, that they would become Christians, and that they would recognize um, Jesus as king. And so that's, that's his, his aim here. So then we asked the question as we began, like, what is he talking about here? Like, what type of conduct... And so what he starts off with is he says in, in, in chapter 2, verse 13, he says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And so last week we really focused on the idea that our government is uh, the governing authority, that they are a, a human institution. And that's really what Peter addresses here. What we said was this, is that Peter himself is under persecution. He's not somebody who's in a position of power. He's one of the oppressed who's saying that this is an opportunity. Our oppression, the fact that we are being oppressed and, and that we are dealing with so much suffering um, still leads us to the belief that we should honor the emperor. And I said last week that the emperor was a really bad guy. And yet he's saying they still deserve honor because they're in a position of power. And it is for the purpose of honoring God. And we honor God through the governing authority. So it's saying, uh, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. So it went to slaves and masters. And as we said last week, it's a little bit different than we understand as, as uh, slavery in our early American history. Um, not quite the same. It's still oppressive. Uh, but we would translate that into, uh, you know, uh, employee and boss relationship. So then we go on to, and this is where it gets kind of uncomfortable, when he says, likewise. So likewise, what, likewise, what, what is that referring to? Everything that he just said, be subject to every human institution for the Lord's sake. So he's saying that this is a human institution, that marriage is a human institution, even though it's ordained by God, but this is how marriages work during this time. And so what would be necessary would be for us to explain kind of what's happening here and what, what we're really looking at. What was it like in that cultural context? Because we can't take what was happening then and translate it apples for apples to what should happen now. As we know, uh, 
the women walk around with braided hair. They wear jewelry in our church uh, um, and, and, and things of that nature. We, we, uh, we don't necessarily suggest that our, our wives call us Lord, although it would be nice on occasion. But, I mean, we, we wouldn't really want them to do that. I'm to- I probably shouldn't have even joked like that, but um, in any case. So what was it like during that time? And so how can we kind of understand this passage in its context? So there's this great commentator, her name, her name is Karen Jobes. So this is a gal who's saying this. And so she says, uh, she's a commentator on First Peter, and she says that according to Plutarch, who was a philosopher at this very time that Peter's writing this, it says, in Greco-Roman society, it was expected that the wife would have no friends of her own and would worship the gods of her husband. And then she goes on and she says, and the very fact that a woman would adopt any religion other than her husband's violated the Greco-Roman ideal of an orderly home. Now imagine for just a moment the, the turmoil that would be going on in a marriage when that is the, uh, the way that that culture operated, that's the expectation, that's, I mean, there's just... Uh, other philosophers as well that spoke into this and they speak to the marriage relationship and what should and shouldn't be happening. And, and like I said, like they're not supposed to have friends. They're supposed to take the religion of their husband and, and, and so forth. Imagine the turmoil in this home, how much a husband might feel disrespected because his wife has become a Christian. He's not a Christian yet. Although I think this is speaking to both. I'll get to that in a minute. But imagine how he might feel disrespected. So Peter is, is coming to uh, the women of this church and he's saying, I want you to operate in a way that is both going to challenge uh, the status quo of the day, but then it's also going to conform. So that there's going to be a sense in which that this is different than what the husband or what society might expect. But at the same time, there's something about their behavior that is attractive to their world. And so people see this and then they would go, okay, I'm intrigued by that. And so that's Peter's aim here um, that we're looking at here. So the husband wouldn't take issue, perhaps, with his wife taking on this new religion because... Peter is affirming the husband's authority in the home. Peter is affirming the husband's authority in the home. Now that's very, very difficult to hear, to even talk about authority in that way. Last week we talked about this idea of, um, uh, from a, a book called Strong and Weak by Andy Crouch, uh, which really talks about uh, the, the two sides of the coin between authority and vulnerability. And authority without vulnerability is really just leads to abuse. And so that's our, our cultural understanding, that when there's authority, then there's abuse, and so people shouldn't be uh, in authority. You've probably heard the statement that, like, absolute uh, power corrupts absolutely, something along those lines. And so our world is, is, is very scared of that. They're very fearful of that. And so this may be difficult to hear. So Peter's communicating and he's saying that, that he's affirming the authority of this husband. And, and so he's speaking to these men and he's hoping that they're going to be uh, one through this. Tim Keller says this, in sharp contrast with our culture, the Bible teaches that the essence of marriage is a sacrificial commitment to the good of the other. That means that love is more fundamentally action than emotion. 
And so I, I think what he's saying here is he's saying that this marriage is for the good of the other person. Biblically speaking, marriage is for the good of the other person. However, in our world today, that is not the way that people typically operate. It is, does my spouse make me happy? Do I feel like I love them? When Tim Keller is exactly right here, he's saying that marriage is not one about emotion. How do I feel about this person? Uh, Marriage is about what are the actions that I'm taking toward this person to win them, to bring about human flourishing. And so Peter is describing this. Peter is doing this here. The good of the other is at stake here. And so we're beginning with wives, and we're going to get to husbands next week. So the, the good of the husband is at stake here as we continue to talk. So uh, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 1 again says, Likewise, wives, be subject. And being subject means ultimately this. It means uh, voluntarily allowing yourself to be subjected to vulnerability. It's volunt- I said this last week. It's voluntarily putting yourself under the human institution. We, we've already talked about this, but government in work, in school, in whatever it is. It might be a neighborhood association. It might be a club that you're a part of. But Christians should not be known as people who are renegades and just doing whatever they want. They should be people insofar as it doesn't cause them to sin uh, uh, against God. And those are gray areas, as I said uh, last week. Insofar as it, it is not causing them to do something against God, they are called to put themselves in a place of vulnerability. They are called. So it's not saying to men, again, you should be the authority. No, it's saying you as a wife should subject yourself It really is a position of power when you can try to override him. You can try to uh, assert your your power in, in some respect. But when you voluntarily put yourself in a place of vulnerability, and again, that will be said to the men as well, but you're putting yourself in a place of vulnerability. You are subjecting yourself. You're putting yourself under someone, under your husband. And this is not talking about any other relationship. It says, be subject to your own husbands. Be subject to your own husbands. So it's no other relationship. It's just the marriage relationship. It's not universal in scope. It's speaking uh, just about this relationship. And it's saying, you uh, subject yourself. He doesn't subject you to his authority. You subject yourself to his authority, if that makes if that makes sense, and this is supposed to be done uh, to God through your husband. If you look back to chapter two, verse nineteen, for this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. So this is this is the goal here: is that there's grace that's being expressed. There's a grace that's being expressed, which is, I could take power, but I'm not going to. And we're not doing it just for the sake of having a good marriage. We're doing it when we're mindful of God. We're saying, God, I'm honoring you by honoring uh, my spouse. So we're doing this to God through our husband, if that makes sense. And so this is a gracious thing when mindful of God. The, the next couple words there, even if... 
even if some do not obey the word. So uh, there are some husbands that don't obey the word. So Peter is basically saying, I think he's more communicating to the wife with an unbelieving husband, but he's also including the believing husband. Because he's saying, even if. So it's not only for wives with unbelieving husbands, it is for both. And it's for this purpose, that they may be one. That they may be one. That you would win them to Christ. That you would win them uh, in, in some respect. I mean, let's be honest here. Um, I'm, I'm a bonehead a lot. Someone's totally going to take that and make a meme out of it or some type of a whatever, and so I probably shouldn't have said that, but let's, let's be honest, men. Like, we are boneheads at times. I mean, if I just could talk about my wife for a second here, I would just say, my wife is an amazing woman. And there are, there are so many times that I say, I'm going to do this, and she says, I wouldn't do that if I were you. I wouldn't do that if I were you. That, that kind of a thing. And I know that there's been periods of time that... that I have not cooperated with, I haven't lived with her in an understanding way, and yet she has been someone who's operated in a a way that's honored me even though she's disagreed uh, disagreed with me. And it's, it's that gracious thing that she's mindful of God. It's that gracious thing that brings me to a place of saying, okay, I, 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 I need to apologize I need to do things rightly here. I need to move in the right direction, whatever it is. So this could be for the unbelieving husband that he may be one to Christ, but then it's also an ongoing thing in a marriage where you do have two believers, where you're trying to win your husband, that he may be one, that you're winning him to uh, an understanding or a better understanding of what would make your marriage work better. And then it says this, without a word. That seems offensive on some level. So that, uh, so it says, so that they may be one without a word. So I think what, what oftentimes can happen is that when a woman reads this, uh, I, this is what I've heard in, in the past, that, that they can feel like, oh, I'm not supposed to talk. I can't bring up what I, what I really have going on here. I can't really deal with this. And I don't think that that's what it's saying. I think what Peter is saying here is he's saying, in our cultural understanding, in our cultural understanding, this is how it should go. Like imagine for a second that you have um, a, a woman who's married to an unbliever. And she comes to Peter as her pastor and she says, how am I supposed to tell my husband or teach my husband about Jesus Christ and the grace that comes from Jesus through his cross, his burial, and his resurrection, and that he can be saved when it's insulting to him for me to presume to teach him. So in that culture, it would have been wrong. Now, it's different today. Um, I'm, I'm a complete moron if I don't listen to my wife's teaching. My wife gets insights from the word of God, and I hear her, and I want to hear her more and more. Men, oftentimes, you're in such a, a bind because you refuse to listen to your wives. You refuse to listen. In this culture, at that time, it would have been insulting for the wife to presume to teach the husband. And so Peter says without a word because he's saying this. He's saying, do this. Work on being 
the greatest wife ever, work on being such a great wife that he has to ask you, like, what's going on? Like, why do you put up with me? What are you doing here? That he would be one, that you would desire to see him come to faith, that you would desire him to stop acting like a complete moron, that you would desire to have a husband that is easier to respect, that you would that you would desire that. He says, be such a great wife even when they don't deserve it. Even when they, they don't deserve it. So, why is this a hard thing to hear? Well, ultimately, it's because of this, because men have dropped the ball. And I, I don't want to give away too much about next week, but ultimately, since the beginning of time, Men have been passive, and they have not led. They've not led in their home. Adam and Eve, our first parents, Adam did not lead. He sat back passively. I want to go into that more next week. And so what, what happens oftentimes in a marriage is that a wife comes to her husband and says, I really uh, want you to be the one that plans the date. Instead of always having to say like it's happened in my home uh, with me, uh, I want you to be the one that comes up with the idea that you want to go out with me. I want you to work out the childcare so that I don't have to go through all this work for us to go on a date. I want you to decide where we're going to go to dinner. I want you to come up with the fun thing that we're going to do together. What's my wife asking me to do that I've failed in, by the way? and that I'm, I'm working on getting better at all the time, my wife is asking me to lead. My wife is saying, I want you to take authority. I want you to stop being passive and just being agreeable in this situation. When my wife comes to me and says, instead of you sitting at the dinner table and not saying anything and just eating because I'm famished, or I've been working hard, instead of me having to do the discipline or having to engage the kids, I want you to say something. I want you to lead in this way. If you've ever said that, you're asking for your husband to lead. You're asking him to take authority. And you're saying, I want to be subject to what you have here. I want you to bring your input to this. You're asking for his leadership. And it's ultimately because you were designed that way. And that's not something that's against you. It's, it just has to do with God's design for you. And when we go against God's design, that's when things go sideways in our marriages. That's when things don't work out well. If you've ever asked for your husband to be somebody who is parenting, disciplining, leading in prayer, Leading in, in, in finances, the financial thing. That's another big one in our home. My wife is the one that runs the, the, the finances and she gets, gets worried on occasion because I haven't looked at it. She's wondering whether she's done a good job and I haven't asked about it. And she's coming to me and she's saying, I want you to lead. I want you to, to, to take a, a more of a spiritual role. And here I am as a pastor, sometimes I drop the ball in that. Uh, sometimes as well. 
So I, I, I want to encourage you and just say this, that when you're looking for your husband and his input and so forth, you're looking for him to lead because that's the way that God created you. That's, that's what God created you uh, to look for in your husband. And ultimately, submission cannot be contingent on whether your husband is worthy of that. It can't be contingent on that. It has to be to God through your husband. It's, it's saying, I will respect him even if he's not the guy that I want him to be. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a, in a few more verses here. But he says, when, when they see your respectful and pure conduct... Uh, I, I should finish that verse out. They may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So the husband is being influenced by the fact that the, the husband is, or that the wife is, is respecting her husband and that she has this pure conduct and it's leading him towards belief, from unbelief to belief, or it's leading him from not functioning well as the lead in the home, it's leading him to begin function in a good way. And so Peter says, do not let your adorning, do not, do not let the things that are, are supposed to make you look beautiful or feel beautiful, do not let your adorning be external. And he says the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. And I've heard different things about this at times. I'm not sure anybody knows specifically. But those things in that time may have been uh, associated with pagan rituals or things of that nature. It it might have even been uh, um, uh, associated with uh, uh, prostitution, something along along those lines. I'm not sure that I think it was that heavy. But I think what Peter's trying to say here is he's saying that like, don't, don't allow your external appearance to be the only thing that you care about. As a, as a believer in Jesus Christ, we're not people who are just concerned about the exterior. We're not supposed to. But isn't that certainly our problem? That we come to church and we say, yeah, everything's fine. How are you doing today? Doing great. That kind of thing. You go to small group and you say, uh, and somebody says, how are you doing in your walk with Christ? And you say, oh, everything's, uh, you know, just fine. I'm doing well in this way. I'm doing well in that way. You know, that kind of thing. But the, the reality doesn't really come out. That you look good on the outside, and this is for men and women, that you look good on the outside, that you, you look like you've got it all together, yet the inside is kind of rotting away. Like there's an inauthenticity that's going on in your life. And Peter is saying, make sure that, you, that there's a genuineness about your faith. Don't let it just be external. It needs to be internal. It needs to be, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. He's saying you need to care more about it, the internal um, motives of the heart. You need to be concerned about what you believe about God and how that is expressed towards your spouse. That's what Peter is saying. But I think that there's another possibility. Maybe this is uh, also what he means. And that is that if you have a, a gal who just recently became a Christian, 
who wouldn't normally leave the house by herself, doesn't have friends aside from her husband, according that to those societal expectations. And let's say that she's going to church now. She's going to, uh, going to church regularly. And her husband is staying at home. And so Peter is saying that you need to make sure that you have respectful and pure conduct. Saying, I think you need to be aware of what it looks like you're doing. Because in this society, it would have been crazy for her to go out and just do something separately from her husband. And so imagine for a moment this woman becomes a Christian and then she, uh, Sunday comes or, or, you know, midweek Bible study comes. She gets dressed to the nines, braided hair, jewelry, the whole bit. She's, she looks like she's about to go out to the club and uh, dance the night away. And the husband's got to be sitting there thinking, who's she going to see? What is she doing? Is she seeing someone else? I mean, who knows? And so Peter is saying, make sure that you look pure. And don't find your beauty. Don't seek out attention from men. And that's not to say that if you care about your personal appearance that that's wrong. I don't believe that to be the case. But Peter is saying, make sure that you're not seeking out attention from other men. Make sure that you are not looking like you're seeking out attention from other men. But, and make sure that you, when your husband sees you, that he sees respectful and pure conduct so that he may be one. So that he would be one to, the, to, to what you're saying, to what you believe. That he would come to know Jesus Christ. And so he's saying these specific things. So that's why we wouldn't look at this and say, yeah, we shouldn't be wearing jewelry or braiding hair from here on out because that would be, uh, that would be a, a, a little bit ri- ridiculous. And it's a, it's a little bit like this. You know, when I, uh, when I bought my, my home that I live in today... Um, I think at one point it had been flipped and someone had, uh, had, had really redone the kitchen. And the kitchen looked decent. It wasn't great, but it was okay. It had a nice tile floor and newer cabinets within the last several years, even though the house was from 1910. But then me and my wife, we decided to remodel our home. And so we tore into the house and we took everything apart and we uh, finally got down to the tile uh, on the floor in the kitchen. We pulled that up and then we pulled up the, uh, the underlayment and underneath that underlayment, there were seven layers of asphalt roofing shingles. Now, I don't know if you know construction at all, but I just want to tell you that roofing shingles are never at any point supposed to be put down underneath the tile floor. Like I could just say that unequivocally, that should never happen. And so what was going on with our home was this, is that everything looked good on the surface, but underneath there was some real issues. And that wasn't the only thing where there was a problem. Peter's encouragement to wives today is to say this, don't just be someone that has put some, some, some makeup on, put on some gold jewelry, and you come to church and you look like you have it all together, make sure that you are truly, truly into this, that you are truly secure in Christ, and that you are not looking to get attention from other men, but that you are respecting your husband in this. The last section here is verse 5. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands 
As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything, that is frightening. Now, there's uh, a couple of different things here. Uh, First of all, it's this, that this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. So he's saying, he's saying that this is what Sarah did. Now, Sarah is uh, basically a part of the first family. Abraham and Sarah are, are, are there. They're the first family uh, of Israel in that sense. And so here's Sarah, and here's how she submitted to her husband. And so Peter is saying, do like Sarah did. Now, Sarah and, uh, and Peter's uh, culture are very similar. They are more similar than our culture is uh, to, uh, to Peter. And so uh, Peter is using an example from that time, and he's saying, this is what it should look like. And he's saying, this is what Sarah did. She submitted to her own husband. And then it says, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And that's what I joked about earlier. And so when you look at, uh, in Genesis, there's one place where it says that Sarah called him Lord. It's kind of a, a side reference. But what Peter may be referencing is some extra biblical texts that talk about the relationship between Sarah and Abraham as I understand it. And in those texts, it refers to her calling him Lord or referring to him in that, in that respect. What this is actually saying, I think, is this, is that here we have Abraham and Sarah. And when we think of Abraham, we think of this guy in Old Testament history that is, he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He can be lifted up on this pedestal as this great and incredible guy. But what do we know about Abraham? Abraham is a guy who had really questionable judgment. Not a little bit, a lot questionable, like very questionable judgment. Abraham, on two different occasions, said that his wife was his, uh, was his sister, and his wife got taken into a, a king's harem on, on two different occasions, and it brought trouble in his house. On another occasion, his wife had told him, hey, uh, we can't have kids, so why don't you, I'm, because there's kiddos in the room probably, I'm, I'm going to... Leave that for, for just a second. More questionable judgment there with Hagar. And so here we have, we have a guy who's lifted up on a pedestal as being a guy who has it all together, and yet he is such a bumbling idiot sometimes. And I think what Peter's referring to here is he's saying, look at what Sarah had to deal with. I mean, she had her own problems too, but look at what Sarah had to deal with. That this guy, Abraham, even though he's chosen by God and he believed God and counted him as, it was counted to him as righteousness. Like Sarah still respected this guy and he didn't deserve it at all. And that's what I want to say to our gals here this morning. Man, you have a job in front of you that is so difficult. Some of you have real difficulty because you have husbands with very, very questionable judgment. And you possess such amazing wisdom that would make him successful on so many levels if he would just listen. And yet he doesn't. And yet he doesn't. And Peter says, even when he doesn't, respect him. It doesn't mean that you need to call him Lord. But there's a sense in which you're saying, I respect him and I'm still seeking for him to lead in our home. And so your, your encouragement 
is towards him to lead in spite of the fact that he has questionable judgment. And the last piece there is, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. What is there that is frightening in this situation? There's lots of things because as I said at the beginning, living in submission is subjecting one's self to put oneself under, to voluntarily allow yourself to be vulnerable to the other in your marriage so that they may flourish. What's fearful about that? He could, he could take you down the wrong road. I mean, we've talked about the fact that you shouldn't submit to abuse, but there's a lot of other things that you may say, I don't agree, that you may want to support him in because God's calling you to respect him. And there's incredible fear there. It's, it's, it's a fearful situation. If I submit to him, will he do this? If I submit to him, will he do that? And gals, I just want to tell you, like Liz Mangles said this in our sermon prep meeting. She said, uh, submission is, is, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, submission is better than snark. Submission is, is, is better, than, better than snark. It's, it, instead of coming at him with words and, and, and maybe berating him, castigating him for making a bad decision. Maybe God's calling you to just love him and support him and say, I, I love you, honey. I love you and I, and I want to be there for you. And some of you, there may be fear in another way and that is that you need to create boundaries in your marriage. He keeps treating you in this way. And the fear is, is that I still love him. And if I put those boundaries into place, is that going to mean the end of my marriage? Is that going to mean the end of whatever? I mean, the kids are going to be destroyed. And so the fear may be that you don't want to have to take those steps. But I just, I want to encourage you that you should get wise Christian godly counsel. You should talk to your community group leader. You should email us. Uh, you could email me, mattedoutwardchurch.com, and I'd love to talk to you about it and, and maybe bring my wife into that or uh, something along those lines. But maybe the step that you need to take is that you need to say, I'm putting in a boundary, as fearful as I am of even doing that. It needs to happen. But that ladies, is for him as well. That's saying, I respect the man that you could be if you respond to this discipline from the church, to this discipline from the government because you got put in jail. I am respecting the man that you could be if you respond appropriately in this situation. I hope that makes sense. And I want to bring my wife up here as we uh, continue here for just a few moments. So, Just a few minutes. You got a bunch. I want a few. A few more. Just kidding. I'm just gonna go. Yeah. Well, I, I, what, what, what do you what do you have to say for yourself? Oh man. Okay. Uh, good job. That was great. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Uh, 
So just a couple things I just wanted to share with you. I loved what Matt said, and I wholeheartedly agree with this, is that submission isn't uh, in response to how your husband acts. It is a voluntary choice to put yourself in the role that God has created for us. I think, and I, I think you said this multiple times, but this gets a bad rap in our culture. Uh, of course it would. This is the, the ways of Jesus have always been antithetical to the go- or to our mainstream culture. Our problem is that we're so immersed in our culture that that's, that can tend to be what we uh, rest in and we, we don't spend enough time looking at what, what God says to us. Uh, and that's where we get a little bit off balance. So uh, one of the things, well, actually the main thing that I love about this um, is that uh, the best news I think about this is that God's commands are not burdensome. Uh, that has been such a, a delight to me and, and a, like a fresh understanding to know uh, they're not burdensome. If you look at this uh, verse in 1 John 5, just a couple verses, it says, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? So if you go, if you kind of go all the way um, down to the, the main points of the gospel, and that is that Jesus uh, has enabled us, has made a way for us to follow him. We don't follow him because we choose him. We follow him because he chose us. And with that brings faith that we have in God. And our faith um, allows us this disposition to be pleased with what God has commanded us to. That is incredible news because I think it tells us two things. It tells us uh, we have what we need uh, as women to submit to God's plan for our lives. The other thing is that we can trust God with his commands. That a lot of times the reason that we wouldn't submit is because we do not trust, first of all, our husband, but then also our God in that he, that he might have something um, that we're not going to like. I love Tim Keller um, posted this quote this week, and it says, the fear is that if I obey God, I will not be happy. And this is the same lie that Satan told in the garden. Um, it's a lack of trust that uh, if I follow God and what he commands, it will not work out for me. And we have to work to, um, to eradicate that from our thinking. And the way that we do that is we spend time with God and we spend time in his word. Um, I love just the idea um, just what I said, just we have, uh, we have what we need to submit. That's not a humanistic um, call to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. That is that when we are saved, uh, we have everything we need for life and godliness. That comes through his word, through other um, councils, specifically um, through God's word. And it's by being obedient. Like obedience just sounds like brutal sometimes. It sounds like, oh gosh, I have to obey. There's no, it's flat, whatever. But there is joy in obedience. And I, I think that when we obey, we say that we trust God. And I think we, we give kind of mental assent to that, but, but that you have to think deeply on that. And I think that for me, that's one of the things that I've been just working on just in a lot of different areas of my life is do I trust God and do, um, am I proving that by the way that I act? And it's simple. Like Jesus calls us to follow him. That's his, that's his basic command is to follow him. And that means trusting him. And a lot of times we don't like it because we can't see how it plays out, but he is good. His commands are not burdensome. 
This is a beautiful thing um, when, we're, when we're seeking the Lord in this. That was incredible. Wow, babe. Uh, I kind of wish maybe I yeah, used your notes, but um, no, that's, that's great. Um, what would you say to the... You didn't prepare for Q&A, but what would you say to the gal that's, that's saying, um, I am so frustrated with my husband because he's doing X, whatever it is. Um, what would you say to her and, and like, what are some steps that she could take towards, uh, towards submission? What would that, what would that look like for her? Is that too broad? Probably, but I'll try. Okay. Um, I, uh, hold on. Um, I just have to think for a second. (laughs) We never rehearse uh, (laughs) questions. Uh, I think like it's good to get counsel. It's good to be in God's word and it's good to receive counsel and to, to talk about that with a safe or a trusted friend. Um, but ultimately like what you said earlier about having boundaries, that is really good. And that's like God's commands aren't that we just take whatever is, you know, whatever comes our way, what you, the, the whole, like, it's okay to say that it's not loving for us to continue to let poor behavior um, be directed at us. Um, and so how, how we get there, I think, is, is we spend time in God's word and we allow God's word to illuminate his truths for us. And then, and then we talk to other people. We have community. We have God's word. Um, that's, a, that's a huge piece of it because, uh, I mean, even in our marriage, I mean, have you ever had a, a, a struggle with, with, uh, with this concept in, in our, we didn't, we really didn't talk about no, this in advance. So never. we'll see how the rest of Mother's no, Day goes, but actual, no, no. What is your actual question? <laughs> this is terrible. We'll asking, cut all this at the end. Are you asking me if I've ever had trouble submitting? So, so in, in the context no. of our marriage, listen, I'm listen, okay, okay. In the, listen now. No, I'm kidding. Uh, no, uh, in the, <laughs> in the context of our marriage. There have been struggles that have come up, and what what I have found and have really respected about you is that when you're really battling with something, and it doesn't, it's not necessarily about submission or something like that, but it's that you've gone to somebody and you have you have one specific gal that you meet with, and you you have sought counsel big time in that because I'm a lot to deal with. And so, and it's not just been with her, but you have other good friends, right? Yes. Okay. Did you want me to expound? Yeah, on that? yeah, okay. I do, I do. Yes, uh, I think it's, it is important for each of us to kind of say, what is my part in this? I, I mean, maybe that's, maybe that's kind of what you're getting at. Yeah. Like, I, it is important to be, to be humble and to, to be willing to let the word of God and God's community wash over our lives. Uh, again, there's, there's fear that we will not be happy or we will not be, um, we will not have what we want. And that can tend us to not trust God and trust his word. And so putting ourselves voluntarily in a position to say, I might not be right in this. I think that's probably the first, the first step is, and that's mutual too. And I know you'll talk about that next week, but, um, I would say just the willingness to consider, uh, what if the the maybe the God that I have created in my mind is not the actual God of the Bible? Or what if the the way that I'm thinking about this is wrong? That there has to be humility, I think. You know, yeah, humility that says that 
that, and I think that this is the crux of the Christian life, is that like we're walking in repentance, and walking in repentance means that, that I very possibly could be wrong in most of the situations. And so when we come to a disagreement or whatever, like the way that we have gotten through those disagreements and, and so forth is, is a lot of times it's when both of us come to the table and say, um, this, is, this is the part that I really think I need to take ownership of. And a lot of those times, it really is the thing that you're bringing to me and you're saying, hey, I, yeah, I'll take ownership for this, but this is, the, this is the thing that I think you need to take ownership of or vice, vice versa. So, yeah. Yeah, and I think as we do that, there, there's freedom to do that when, again, we recognize and spend time thinking about that God's commands are not burdensome. I'll just keep saying it. Like, yeah. I feel like that has just been such a beautiful truth that I, that I have been dwelling on is, is that there, I don't have to, um, and again, this is really hard to, to play, like how this works out all the time. Like, this is not, this is not easy per se because we are naturally selfish and we're, we're naturally self-motivated. And so, but the gospel frees us from that. Like, we don't have to come to our spouse and come into these situations thinking, I have to defend my right and defend my position. Again, it's good to have boundaries in those things, but, but to know that, um, that we already have that within us because of what Jesus did for us and because Jesus died on the cross. Like, we have freedom. We don't have to be um, dependent on necessarily our spouse to get what we really, truly need from Jesus. Yeah, yeah. That's really good, babe. Thank you for, uh, thank you for doing that. Yeah, I'm out. All right. Love you. All right. Hey, I want to invite the band forward. Um, we'll uh, finish up by partaking of communion together. Just uh, if you're, uh, if you're uh, here this morning and um, um, you're just battling with this, you're battling with what it looks like to, um, to, to submit or, or what have you, we can look to the gospel as being the example of what we are to do. And so it, he says earlier in, in the book, chapter 2, verse 21, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you. So this morning, if you're saying, but I'm, I'm going to suffer if I do that. Now, I, I can tell you that I don't think that, it's, it, that, the, that you're definitely going to suffer. I think there's going to be moments that you're going to suffer. Some, are, some may suffer more than others uh, in, in this situation. But the reason why we can go into these things and suffer is because Christ also suffered for us. And Jesus suffered on the cross. He bled out and died on the cross for us to enable us to live for him, to enable us to submit to the governing authorities, to submit to every human uh, institution, in spite of the fact that it causes us to suffer. And so this morning, I just want to invite you, um, all of us, to just consider, where do I need to submit? What are some areas that I need to ask for forgiveness for? Are there controlling men out there that have demanded the respect of their spouse. You have some repenting to do. Jesus went to the cross for that sin. You need to repent before God and then repent to your wife. Understanding that his body and his blood was shed for you. Wives, have you refused to live in subjection to your husband? Have you refused to voluntarily be vulnerable in that situation 
That's something that you can go to the cross for and know that Jesus paid for that. And you can repent right here and right now. So let's take a moment this morning and and pray. Lord Jesus, I pray for all those this morning that are that are aware of their sin. I, I pray that that's all of us here. And Lord, that we would seek uh, to, to, to have a sense of your conviction in our life, but also that you would give us a great sense that you died on the cross for us. And so this morning, we thank you so much uh, for your body that was broken for us. Let's partake of the, the bread. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the pain, for the suffering that you went through, that we might live. We ask that you would make us aware of that, that we would have a sense of that this morning. And Lord, we also thank you for your blood that was shed for us on the cross. Let's partake of the cup. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for what you're going to do in the marriages in our church. And Lord, we, we, have, we have so many incredible women in in our church that love their husbands dearly and want to see them respected and they they want to respect them as well so lord i pray that we would more and more come together as a church lord that we would our marriages would be great uh marriages that can be such an example to our city and lord that relationships would get better it's in your name we pray amen